so welcome back. It is now episode thirteen. No. No. Episode twelve. You sure? Yeah. Yes. It's episode twelve. Are you sure? <laughs> it's good to see you on it. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so um I skipped a day. I was behind for a day and now I've skipped a day. Yeah, yeah, we're all over the place. <laughs> so um in today's episode we're gonna be covering off pricing. So as it's Monday, we thought we'd do a business one today. Yeah. Um, and um, the whole idea of these podcasts um, and this journey that we're kind of going on is, is showing our journey and pricing our new service and product is something that we're struggling with um, because it's in a market that we've never done, never done anything in before, yeah, don't know serious. anybody in. There's no competitors for what we do, so there's no kind of gauge so it, it's been a bit kind of finger in the air so i thought a lot of people must struggle with that how to price their products it's fact in fact it's something that we get asked regularly by our franchisees you know, yeah oh, what's the best way yeah, yeah. What, what should i price this package at or etc etc so i thought it would be something cool to cover today yeah i think it's um i think it's an important one in terms of how we approach pricing generally yeah and um because there's a couple of things that come into play when it comes oh, to loads, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and they're not necessarily directly tied to the cost of the product. They can also be tied to the the value that you think you yeah, bring, exactly. right? So, um, well, so yeah. and the psychology behind it, with the way people view pricing, yeah. So that there's so much in it, and that that's kind of why I wanted to cover it today yeah, because people think that um, you know pricing. Uh, well, in an intelligent way, um, you know, some people do just literally pick a number out of the air, yeah. but in a, in a more intelligent way, you kind of look at your, your costs, um, which is easier if you've got a product because it's more tangible, it's more obvious exactly what your product costs, etc. Okay. over a service. Um, and then obviously kind of leave a little bit on top to make, and that, yeah. that's about as scientific as it gets, but there's so much more involved. Um, yeah. That I, I think kind of trying to going through those points is is important. Well, that ties in quite nicely actually because the one of the things I don't think we uh, we covered very in depth yesterday, and we it probably will be a whole episode in itself is the financial literacy piece. Yeah. So we were talking yesterday around um, how uh, in episode eleven <laughs> um, we were talking about how certain. There, there are certain th things within being in business and um, entrepreneurship that directly tied to character traits mm -hmm. and how both complement each other and how it's both it's important to build both aspects yeah. in business. So one of those um, aspects that tied into responsibility and owning result was the financial yeah. side, and this will tie quite nicely into the pricing yeah. discussion today because we kind of... like tiny tapped on that yesterday yeah. but we didn't go into a deep dive and no. I'd say that you and I have been in 12 years being in business in nearly 20 years being together mm. we've gone through probably a journey that most people have gone through with money mm -hmm. right so do you think it's better that we start with the money conversation first and then go on to pricing because then we could all Pricing first, and then we'll talk a bit more about depends the money. Depends what you're covering with money, because it's a it's a huge thing in itself, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's so true. Maybe that's a that's a separate podcast for for another. I don't know. Okay. I don't, oh, we'll, I don't we'll know where you're going with it. it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. We'll touch on some of it, and um, so um, so whatever product or service that you either have or that you want to bring out there, invariably there's going to be huge differences uh, um, in the marketplace around what people are charging for it, yeah. right? So you're, you've always got this kind of, the, the fastest route to the lowest price yeah. kind of uh, model, and then you've got this, there's always like, there's a deluxe version of your service mm -hmm. who, who seem to charge extraordinary pricing for something that fundamentally you do the same. Yeah, well that, that was actually one of the things I was gonna highlight was the, um, I, I forgot to look up the price of it now, but the uh, Tiffany paperclip, do you remember that? Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, T Tiffany and co do, um, sell yeah. a, a couple of different paper clips. I think one's a gold one and one's a silver one. 
yeah. for ridiculous somebody somebody listening look it up and and tell us what it is because i forgot what it was but it's in the hundreds and it's yeah uh, it's for a paperclip paper <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, it uh, is literally a paperclip and it doesn't look any different no because it's silver and i don't know what normal paperclips are made out of cross notes some, but some kind of metal it's some kind of metal yeah. but it looks no different yeah. really does it it's not like it's got this big like tiffany jewel on it or anything no. like that it's just a Paperclip. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's insane. Yeah. But so, okay, so let's explore that first of all then. Like, how do people, how do people in those companies get away with standing by a product that isn't fundamentally different to no. anything else? So how does a company then be able to get, sell that product? Because it still has to manufacture it, right? So to create that paperclip, for example, yeah, yeah um, they don't just magic paperclips out of thin air. No. They've got to build the tooling. Yeah the packaging and the presentation and delivery of that whole thing, yeah. like from beginning to end, before any customer can put their hand up and say, yeah, I want to buy it, Yeah. right? So it's not just a case of, oh, I've created a paperclip mm-hmm. and then someone buys it. So what would you say then is the the thinking behind it? How do they get away with it? How do they get away with charging something that well, is something so like extraordinarily that is, expensive? Is the branding, is the, the history and the um, premium branding. So. If, you know, you, you can buy, <clears throat> obviously, a Rolex is going to be a lot more than a watch that you'll just buy in a supermarket or on the on the high street. You know, there's same with cars. You can buy a, a bog standard car or you can buy a Rolls Royce. Okay. You know, so, so it's a lot of it will come down to the, the branding, the history of the brand, the name, the, the um, perception that they've given to that it is a luxury perception is a really important word exactly. isn't it, right because that's what <laughs> branding really is yeah. right it's how people identify perceive that yeah whatever it is as being yeah so relix is a really good example of that yeah, yeah. so um it's what the, what you think you are when you buy that thing mm. you know if or it makes you look yeah and feel yes yeah so, yeah so relix is a great example of this so the company itself um, and this goes for any company. So the company itself will say to itself, right, who's our ideal customer, right? And we, we use this, the Rolex analogy, quite a lot with when we're training franchisees, yeah. don't we, about when we go through a whole training day or just uh, on how to strategize and pricing and branding and all this yeah. kind of stuff. But what they do is companies will identify, okay, who do we want our product associated with? Mm-hmm. And, and what's the best, and what does that, product what are those people like and so they'll go on like a deep dive right on understanding every little thing that that person represents Mm -hmm. so rolex like when i was younger rolex represented a very specific type of individual normally they wore barber jackets yeah yeah or those tweed jacket things like burberry type burberry and all that kind of stuff they normally drove a range rover Mm -hmm. and they were always north of 50 yeah yeah and um they like to go shooting with their hunt or hunting with yeah. their friends right and it was normally kind of associated with like landowner type individuals yeah. that was that was the rolex kind of ideal customer well, which is everything rolex um envisions and in their advertising yeah. and everything else so. well their boxes they were these green boxes that kind of that it kind of all lent itself really well to your tweed jackets and yeah. your Burberry and your, yeah, and your what's gun. what's the one thing all of that stuff is saying? It's like wealth and yeah. status. Yes, isn't it? So exactly. So the person that then buys a Rolex is, is either one of those things anyway yeah. or wants to be one of those things and see, see some Yeah, they want somebody. they want somebody to notice when they're yeah. wearing a T-shirt or if they've got a jacket on and when the jacket just slightly moves up and yeah. someone sees... When Rolex, they must be really. They yeah. they want that moment. Yeah. Yeah. And um, they I know people who um, in fact I know uh, somebody in business who has a Rolex that's fifty. I think he paid fifty five thousand for this Rolex, mm-hmm. and um, and I remember I was at dinner with him and a few other people, and uh, with a, a bunch of other people in business, and um, that somebody pointed at his watch because they recognized the watch mm-hmm. and it was a Rolex it was mm-hmm. a it might I can't remember what type but it was a specific type of Rolex I don't follow watches too closely to be honest but it was a very specific type of Rolex and um and you could see the guy light up 
the fact that he was someone acknowledged what that was yeah and within moments like, it didn't take very long that that this person that inquired about the watch on his wrist and it didn't look anything special it's mm -hmm. just that that individual understood what that watch meant and then within two three minutes we knew the history of the watch the, the materials the watch was made of and how much he bought it for yeah like within two or three minutes so it was like and you could see he was like very excited by that so so coming back to the um, the reason why Rolex is a really important one to recognise is because they actually re they changed the their ideal customer right so that used to be their ideal customer yeah. and then you had the Chinese market had, in China they had the uh, middle classes uh, the wealth in the middle class in China was just going nuts like the amount of money that was um, in that was happening in China and this and the ability for that that group uh, to spend money was was really attractive to mm -hmm. people like Rolex, Rolls Royce and people like that. Mm -hmm. And also British brands were very attractive to Chinese as a mm -hmm. status piece, mm -hmm. right? So so things like Rolls Royce and Rolex and people like that had to pivot. Mm -hmm. And 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 they had to say, hang on a sec, we've got this booming market over here that they're no longer in their north of 50s. Mm. We've got these 20, 30-somethings yeah. who want status, but the tweed landowner yeah, thing doesn't apply, doesn't apply yeah. right? So all of a sudden, the guy that I was sat, who was in his, I'd say he's probably in his 40s, maybe late 40s, but he definitely didn't fit the stereotypical previous Rolex-owning yeah. individual. Yeah. He fit more like the younger generation, entrepreneurial, wealthy, yeah. and all that kind of stuff. And that's and that and him consuming that product was as a complete um, driver by Rolex mm -hmm. to put that to position it in that way. So that's yeah. So that's why Tiffany and all this stuff. So Rolex can create anything. They can create something out of tin now. Yeah. If they because wanted they to. Because they built the status. And on the flip side of that, you've got your companies like Primark. Um, there's Wish online yeah. where their whole thing is about the biggest bargain you can get. Yeah. You know, um, Prime... the cheaper it is for the consumer, the better. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Primark. If you go to, uh, if you've done your shopping and you're you're waiting in the line, you've got all those buckets either side of you, yeah. haven't you? And like products everywhere where everything's like a pound. Well, it is bucket. They are effectively yeah, buckets because right? they're just yeah. wanting you to just keep grabbing and filling yeah. up your stuff. Uh, and just because you, cause you've got this again perception yeah. that you're getting really good deals all the time, so yeah. you just you don't you don't really want whatever that that is that like lint brush for your clothes. But hey, it's fifty p. Let's yeah. shop it in the back. It's the third one you bought this year. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, so you you end up just and it's not always like terrible quality, but it is stuff that you don't need. Yeah. And it's obviously been mass produced. There's nothing special about it. Well, and it's even a um, it's even. It's a bit. It feel. It feels like there might be some sketchiness about it. Yeah. Because you feel like, okay, I'm getting amazing. Because that they what they've done is they've tapped directly into the idea of bargain. Yeah. Bargain. Like the fact that we all feel like oh, bargain. We've got a hoard. Yeah. So it's. When, and you, and, you, and there's an there's there's a um, urgency urgency with yeah. with that kind of buying because again on wish the the online kind of version I suppose um you you've got like when you're looking at stuff you've got this. Can like, you tell what Kate looks at? <laughs> You've got like this spin the wheel thing that comes up and it's like, oh, you're going to get oh, really? some bigger discount if you buy in the next two minutes. Really? Or, yeah, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. There's I all wasn't. these weird tactics that they use to create this kind of urgency because you because there's a sparking and you're going to miss out kind of thing. So, I mean, two hugely different models, um, which I think people can, can learn from. And I, I'd say, personally, I'd say one is easier than the other. Um, but... I think it really depends on your product and your own kind of belief in your product and your patience that we were talking about in the, in the yeah a sense days. of urgency like it, how yeah. much how urgent is like your need yeah. to like so for example if we were all if everybody listened to this and us if we were all independently wealthy mm. right that money, neither money nor time that mattered. Mm you'd craft the like if you wanted to put something out there that represented who you were yeah and if and to get it perfect before you released it 
you would you would be like right okay well if it takes me a year to do that then so be it mm. there wouldn't be but if you're like jesus christ i've got to put food on the table yeah, this yeah, month yeah. otherwise i lose the roof over my head we're yeah. gonna go we're gonna go hungry it's that's that's a different thing right but the downside of 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 going on the lower end and the just get it sold just get it out there is it's kind of a one-time thing yeah you're, you're, you're not building a brand you're not building any kind of longevity well you are building see building is it's a slippery slope to talk about building a brand mm. because a brand is is something in itself but you're building um you're I, I, suppose, I think it's probably safe to say you're building a relationship with your consumer mm. where they have a very low expectation of one, your product, and on what they should pay for it. Well, you're, you're yeah. conditioning your customers, though, aren't you? Because yeah. I, I remember with the early days of Smiley Booth, that um, we went in quite low because we didn't really know what, what we had no idea what we were doing when we first started, but we didn't yeah. really know what well, we were no, selling. Well, we had no competition. No. Because we were the first photo booth hire uh, company in the UK. It wasn't like we could go out there and find another one and say, well, how are they successfully yeah, pricing yeah. it? We just literally had to go... Any mini money, money? Yeah. So we, uh, well, there, there was one or two kind of bubbling away at the same time as us, and, and I think they went for the opposite approach. They had a, a really high price because it was this unusual service, whereas we went the yeah. other way and went for a low price because we realised that we were kind of um, educating the market and they didn't know what this was. So, in my opinion, why would they pay a lot for something yeah. that they didn't really know what it was? But I do think that was a little bit of a mistake on our part because we we kind of had slowly ha were hiking the prices, which worked because we had a customer loyalty base and people were well, we ended the up, name. Yeah, well, over a period of, I'd say, two to three years, we increased the average hire price for the same service. I mean, the tech had improved, don't get me wrong, So, and our investment in that tech had increased. But, and our so experience. The, and our experience. The actual delivery aspect had improved significantly mm. over like a three-year period. But we'd increase the price of our service by about seventy five percent. Yeah. Like over over the course of a three year yeah. period. But I think had we in hindsight, I think had we gone in the other way round, we'd started higher and kind of slowly come down, that would have it, it gives you a lot more buffer in your business. And that I think that's what we're working on now. Because um one of the reasons this came about was We've for for say it, we've priced our um video cards at a certain amount. Yeah. Because Obviously, we've got the, the cost of what they are to, to produce. Yeah, there's a physical, both in time and money, there's a physical investment that goes into those cards. Yeah. And it's not like, for anybody that's um, unfamiliar with buying product, you can't, you can't if you're not making it yourself and yeah. you're not getting the materials in yourself, you can't expect another individual who owns a company to just make you one, mm. right? You have to, oh, you, yeah, have to you have to buy, buy yeah. and that's where the term minimum order quantities come in. Where invariably, when you find the right supplier, they'll say, "Well, yeah, I'm happy to, I'm happy to do what you're asking me to, but it's going to cost you X." Yeah, and that's a big investment. And right? then you have the whole um, economies of scale because the more you buy, the lower yeah. the price you get. But obviously, the bigger your commitment is. Well, the bigger your commitment is, then you've got storing issues, yeah. and then you've got the associated costs with that that aspect. Yeah. So there's yeah, there's loads of there's loads of pros and cons yes, with products. Yes, there's lots of factors, but so you, so we we were kind of we got our costs worked out, and then we thought we'd kind of worked out what our margin was, and we were happy with that, weren't we? And then the the supplier only within a, a month of us kind of starting this business, has, uh, their costs have gone up. Yeah. So they've hiked that base price quite significantly, yeah. which obviously has effect on our on our profit margin. And then a lot of the relationships that we've been building, which is something that I don't think we factored in, often they'll want a, either a percentage yeah. or they want um, a discount for their specific clients. Yeah. You know, what are you going to offer our clients? Yeah. Or um, there's some kind of promotion. And you, you so you've got to be able to leave room for that discount. Yeah, well, and also well. you've got to... Because the mistake sometimes, I think, when people look at profits in a business is the assumption, especially if you're new to business, the assumption is that's your money. Yeah. It's not your money. Yeah. It's the business's money. Yeah. Like, as a business owner, yeah, you you have the opportunity down the road, especially, like, to determine how much the business then rewards you. Mm. But it's, it's certainly at startup phase, it's not your money to spend. No. You, your responsibility as the... As the like the leader of that business is to get the business off, 
started on its two feet on its own two feet um, by generating some capital yeah. so that it can last the next week and the next month. Yeah, and that's the else. thing. The, the more kind of buffer you can give yourself in that um, gross profit margin for the business, the more you can do, the more yeah. marketing you, you can do, the better you can make the experience for the customer. And the I better think, deal with your buying products yeah. is for next month. Yeah. And um, and also you'll make mistakes, right? Yeah. So um, it's... It's a hundred percent. Like you're never. There's going to be some mistakes that you're going to make in your business. It's going to cost you both a lot of time and a lot of money. There's um and if you listen to any of some of the biggest business owners out there, um, you'll find that they that's that's just accepted, yeah. right? You'll make really expensive mistakes. You can't, as the business owner, necessarily personally, like just keep handing over cash no. to mitigate those mistakes. No. So you need the business to be able to have enough, like enough of a buffer yeah. to compensate for that. Yeah, exactly. So um, I think the kind of middle ground, personally, that I think you and I kind of strive for a lot of the time, with all our business services, whether it's been a smiley booth, whether it's say it, whether it's kind of marketing consulting, any anything that we do is is strive for the value, and that that's what I see the middle ground between the uber wealthy expensive luxury brand up here which has its advantages because you're 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 talking to a lot smaller audience and you're aiming for a lot less customers and people want to be like rolex they want to be associated as part of that audience don't they they want to be like oh yeah i had a whatever it is service they're like but that's really yeah i mean if you're you're trying to get 100 grand and you're selling 10 things at 10 grand yeah you know that could be a lot easier than selling a thousand things at a grand. I was, wait, I, was, I was watching, I was like, here's the mess. No, here's the mess. No, a hundred things at a grand. Anyway, <laughs> whatever it is, a thousand things at a hundred pounds. Yeah, that's right. Isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because anyway. you have to have a thousand different relationships. Yeah, exactly. Right? Um, so, and that hundred pounds could still be a lot, lot of money to those individuals. Yeah. So you're still got the same kind of hurdles to cross. Well, that was one of the things that we figured out on uh, Smiley Booth was the type of conversations you have based on your price like are very different like yeah. so if you so for example um what we found with the photo booth hire business was if we set the standard for our service so forget about price for a second if we said right if we're going to deliver this service it has to meet all this criteria it has to be that it it has to be on like the leading edge of service delivery, both in tech and customer service, right? But it doesn't necessarily have to be the most expensive expensive service out there. So could we basically do a lot of what the really hyper expensive people do without, and just dial the pricing back slightly, yeah. right? So, the, so what happens is that when people look at our service, they think, Jesus Christ, I'm getting all of this value yeah. for that price, as opposed to, yeah. Like so, so it felt like they were still getting a deal, but it's because it was tied to a high end. Yeah. Now, what that meant for us was that we found that if we priced at the like middle, middle to higher end, the type of people that then would engage with the service was very different because they'd yes. be like, so if, as a really basic example, the average wedding. Uh, Christ knows what it's going to be like from next year after COVID, but the average wedding spend. For like just for a whole wedding was between I think it was like twenty four to thirty one thousand pounds was the total cost of a wedding, wasn't it? Yeah. So we knew if we priced our photo booth higher, for example, at between five and six hundred quid. Yeah. Yeah. Then and we directly targeted the wedding market. Then as a percentage, just as an idea, as a percentage, five or six hundred quid as a percentage of a total spend of thirty grand. Is not a very much money, no. right? As in percentage of terms, yeah. if you're already going to spend thirty grand, then five hundred quid on something that could really make the most of your event yeah. is is a good thing, right? But, but then it allows you, sorry, just to interject there, to buy better props, better guest books, things like that, to provide a, a better service, better than, software, yeah. Than better if you're equipment. like squeezing your margins and you've got to get everything on the cheap. Yeah. So, so we found that in fact the sales process, if you like for Smiley Booth and and being able to demonstrate our, the, the real value we're, we're giving to that person mm-hmm. as a service 
was a no-brainer, yeah. right? For both us and for them. Mm-hmm. However, when you go you, the opposite end of scale, it's when you're kind of, we, there were competitors pricing their photo booth hire service, 150 quid in yeah, some cases, sure. <laughs> right? And so what that did is that then spoke to an entirely different market. That spoke to people that were like, oh, okay, well, I want something for my children's party and I've just found out that I can have a photo booth for 150 quid mm-hmm. or yeah, okay, we're just having something in, I don't know, the local village hall. It's a really low-key affair. The village hall's costing me 50 quid for the night, yeah. and um, I suppose I can stretch to an extra 150 quid, right? Mm-hmm. So the problem was that for those individuals that were doing that is, one, they were conditioning all of their customers that that was an appropriate price to pay for their service, mm-hmm. So everywhere they went, everybody they saw was asking to pay 150 mm-hmm. quid. Um, and the other thing was they, they couldn't invest in their services. Mm-hmm. They couldn't improve. So they inevitably, oh, and plus they, as business owners, they felt like they were running around and not making any money. No. So the love for the business yeah. was just like, it just feels like I'm constantly dealing with just stuff that doesn't make me excited. Well, there was and... several um, examples, wasn't there, over the last few years of people going out at ridiculously low pricing yeah. going out of business yeah and leaving loads of customers high and dry because they didn't pay their deposits back or whatever um, and these these became quite high profile scams in the media well they but, were actual scams well, as yeah well. but some of them weren't mm. this is what i'm getting at some of them may have been scams but some of them were just genuinely people that hadn't thought their businesses through very well yeah, who thought, who thought, well, if I just get enough bookings... Yeah, if I, then... just, if I get in cheaper than everyone else, then I'll get loads of bookings and we'll all be good. But it doesn't work that way. Well, it doesn't because it's not a product, <laughs> no. right? So I, th- I think that's... So yeah. just to come back to... Your, just to highlight that point, yeah. there were some... Like, they were in the national press yeah, and so on, where, where what people were doing is they were public publicising their services on things like Groupon, yeah. Facebook, and all this kind of stuff, saying... Uh, pay me pay me the balance today and you'll get a photo booth for 100 quid or 150 yeah. quid right for your wedding next year and then so of course that's markedly lower than most reputable yeah. photo booth hire services out there so people just piled on and um and they're like well how's that possible how are you and us in the business were like okay there's only so many saturdays in a year yeah exactly right there's only so many fridays so and we know the the equipment itself. If you're looking at quality delivery service that that a wedding or a party really deserves, right? Yeah. That equipment can cost you anywhere from anywhere from six seven grand up to fifteen grand yeah. just for the gear. Yeah. Right. So I'm not even going to try the maths on it. Was that a thousand gigs? Yeah. One hundred and fifty quid. Is that right? No. no that's one hundred fifty thousand. <laughs> yeah. hundred gigs yeah. at one hundred and fifty quid. But then you've got to take into account fuel. Yeah. And all of that stuff that goes into it. So anyway, well, and if you're trying to do loads, media. You, you need staff because Absolutely. you can't be everywhere at once. So the problem is the consumers weren't, weren't asking that question or a lot of them weren't asking that question and they were just handing over the cash. It's also the type of cash that for some people, if they lost 100, 150 quid when they're already spending 20, 30 grand on a wedding, mm. it's like, well, that's worth a punt. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So, especially if the wedding's like a year or two years down the road. Yeah, but for other people, it's everything. Yeah, and then they, And they want, so they want these people's blood when they go bust. And as I say, and some of them were scams, but in some cases, they just hadn't thought about their pricing properly or their whole strategy. Yeah. And it had all just collapsed in on itself. It's not like they had a warehouse full of photo no, booths. Exactly. And like... 50 staff to no. deliver everything. Invariably. Because that's not achievable with those margins. No. Exactly. Uh, so there's, when anybody used to say, say to us on your phone, well, you know, we'd, we'd give our pricing and they go, oh, well, I, I know someone down the road that will do it for this. And we would always caution against, wouldn't we? And just say, you know, you have to do your homework. There is a reason why the middle of the road pricing is this. Yeah. Because it takes that much just to deliver a decent well, service. Well, especially in events, because if you are someone getting married, um, you want to know that you've handed a deposit over to somebody today that could be for an event. I mean, we're, we're currently receiving bookings for next year and 2022 and 2023 for yeah. Smiley Booth, right? So for those people that are handing over cash right now to do that, they want to know that you're still going to be there. Mm-hmm. So... The, they want to have confidence that as a business owner that 
yeah, it's it's well, and now more than ever because all 2020 bookings have all been squeezed into 2021, 2022. Yeah. So there's there's not enough to go around. Yeah. So never go for the cheapest one at the moment because no. you know you you really are it on a hiding to nothing. I think. Yeah. So for you as a business owner, if you're listening to this or somebody's thinking about going into business, the the point here is that when you're thinking about your pricing. There's so many factors that come into, it's not just about how much money do you want to work, uh, make and how much is your time worth and all this kind of stuff, which we used to get a lot, didn't we? Mm. We used to get other business owners saying, jack your price up, you guys are worth more than yeah, this. Yeah. And like, if you do this, put some extraordinary price on and that's, it's a limit. They used to say to us, um, it's a limiting belief you have yeah. that your pricing is X. And it's like, well, yeah and no, because yeah. there's, 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 the market can cope with so much yeah. and the service deserves so much. Yeah. But when you're thinking about your pricing, you've got to think about, right, how am I future-proofing this business? Yeah. If, if there is a pause down the road in the business, have I enabled the business to have some capital in it mm-hmm. to, to navigate that pause? Well, you've also got to look at your potential customer's ability to pay um, because if you're... Because, again, it comes down to perception because in certain markets... If you go in too cheap, yes, yeah. they don't. They don't think you don't know what you're doing. Yeah, you don't, um, they don't take it seriously. Yeah, they, they they think that you're there's, there's something wrong. You know, especially if they've got any kind of experience in that field. Like for example, if we go back to the wedding industry, if 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 a wedding planner was dealing with us, they would know exactly what to expect. And yeah. if you go in too cheap, they they'd run a mile. Yeah. they'd be like, oh, these guys don't know what they're doing. Yeah. So you've got to be very careful that you're that the the, the pe- people that you're dealing with, your ideal customer be aware of their ability to pay yeah. because if it doesn't meet that then alarm bells will start ringing for them well yeah it's just because it's exactly the same as if because uh, you you have the same lens to this right so if for example if you saw a ferrari for sale on ebay yeah. for five grand yeah. and they were saying as you <laughs> or whatever You'd be like, yeah, I'm gonna hand over, yeah, I'm gonna hand over five grand and not see my five grand, or it's gonna be made out of cardboard or whatever it is. So, or it's a toy. Yeah, it's a toy. Yeah, 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 just really close up picture. Yeah, but so it's so you like whoever's listening and watching this, you already know that you already have. It's not what we're telling you is not something that you you don't already have the capacity to do. You know, um, like when someone's being ridiculous on pricing. Yeah. So when you're entering into a market or you're trying to figure out a market, you looking at the, the com, your competition out there is, is a valuable insight into that, right? Yeah, I think that will give you a gauge, but certainly don't live by it. I no. think too, too many people go, oh, well, I can't charge X because the competition are doing Y. And that, yeah. that doesn't, you know, it's apples and oranges. You know, you're not exactly the same. Just use them as a, as a kind of, use that as a base gauge and use your actual physical costs as a base gauge. Yeah. I think they're the two first points of con- you know first points of working it all out of calculating it but then after that you you've got your customer's ability to pay all the perceptions of your of what you're trying to build what what your messaging is well and what your business what your needs in terms of capital yeah uh, week in week out month in month out yeah. because the the thing with and again this is one of the reasons why we should definitely do like more on the financial side at some yeah. point because for both personal and business, yeah. right? So, because the thing is, you can you can look at a product and go, oh, well, the margins are this, right? I'm making, I don't know. The, the average business, just so most people know, the average business from my time when I used to be in corporate banking, the vast majority of them were doing, like, their total net profit, right? So net profit is you sell a product for this after everything's paid out, what you're left with. Right? Yeah, and that's everything. Like everything, you sell, right? Yourself as a wage and like yeah. if you're all dividend or whatever, it's absolutely it's the value final, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. So, and the average I saw was anywhere between 5 and 20%. In fact, in most cases, if you're set at 20% net profit in a company, you're, it, that's considered pretty good. That's, yeah. quite a, that's quite a nice margin. Or retail something like 1 or 2%. It's that's crazy. ridiculously low. Yeah, so for every 100 quid... You bring in, you make anywhere from five to twenty quid out the bottom of, of the business. So, the the point is that it doesn't take much for um, for there to be a fluctuation in either your costs or your ter- or the money you bring in 
like if, let's say your your net profit is ten percent, just for argument's sake. If for every hundred pound that you bring in, you make ten quid. Well, if you're if if something fluctuates in your costs by fifteen percent because you've chucked some money at marketing or your turnover adjusts mm -hmm. by ten percent or whatever because the market has shifted or twenty percent or your supply chain raises yeah. their prices, then that you've got barely anything at the yeah. bottom, yeah, that you're making. So that actually turns into real profit. So those fluctuations can have a really big impact. Mm -hmm. So when you are thinking about pricing, you don't just go, oh, well, I bought this mug and for Fiverr and I'm going to sell it for 15 quid. It's yeah. like, okay, but what's all the other associated costs with that? And what do you actually make at the end of it after absolutely everything in profit? And how can you stockpile some of that profit because obviously you're going to want to get paid as well how can you stockpile some of that profit so when your supplier does go actually it's not five quid anymore because of covid it's now going to cost you eight quid mm. for a mug it's like oh jesus god and it's important to also especially in the uk market i'm not entirely sure how it works um everywhere else and i think it's pretty similar in europe but i'm not sure about the states um is to build your vat in really early on yeah. Because that, we talked about this on another podcast, that's a mistake that we made with Smiley Booth. Because when we first started Smiley Booth, we never expected it to be a, our business, really, did we? It was more of a side hobby. Let's make a bit of extra cash. Well, it's this, what they call now a side hustle. Yeah. That's what our yeah. thing was. was, we, was like, we weren't expecting to kind of run full time with that at any point. So, yeah. um, and as I say, we kind of started with our prices low and slowly, slowly raised them. Yeah. Um, but when the, and part of the reason was because when the that came in, we had to raise them a little bit because... It's just taking twenty percent off our turnover, which yeah, is a which massive then has to be Yeah, it's crazy. It was yeah. it was um yeah, that that destroys a lot of businesses. Yeah. And the, and part of the problem is um is most people don't understand how to forecast um what goes on with cash, right? Yeah. So cash flow forecast is a massive issue. Um, because we're not taught it at school. I was going to say, it says something that we're never taught. No, nobody, and when I don't you, think you even taught it in business school. No, oh, well, you might, I don't know. Well, no, neither are you ever no, went. No, neither no, you ever I, went. Don't, I don't think you are. I might but, be wrong. But. And, when you, and if, you're, um, if you're brave enough to even investigate cash flow forecasting, it's the driest, <laughs> most like, intimidating subject to get into, right? Because yeah. you get, people give you these spreadsheets, you can download these free spreadsheets and everything else. And there's a lot of information on them that's probably irrelevant to your business. Mm. But trying to discern what works and what doesn't mm. is, is, is a real challenge. But forecasting in trying to create some kind of forecasting strategy is a really important thing, right? Because yeah. you can see, oh, okay, if I price it this, that's going to work for me over the course. Of, I might lose money for the next, for next three months. Yeah. But over time, providing I keep building these people in and building my customer base... In month four, I start making a profit. In month, and then you can just tweak it. You can play what with about? It. Um, I never read it, but that book that you read, Profit First, that's, uh, that's, that's awesome. Is that uh, quite a good strategy for people? So yeah, so I always mispronounce this guy's name, Mike McCowicks, I think it was something like that. McCow, I can't remember. <laughs> but um, great book for if you are already in business, and um, obviously twenty twenty <laughs> is. A lot of us are on pause at the moment, wondering which way is up. But um, if you're currently running a business and you're still trading, and um, I highly recommend reading the book Profit First. Um, you can get it on audio because what it does is it. Well, I'd say also if you're starting a business, I don't think it needs to be. Yeah, yeah, as a running. foundational piece, yeah, it's yeah. probably a really good thing to. Yeah, yeah. To, in fact, we teach it to the franchisees mm -hmm. um, in their training when they start. Yeah. Because um, the great thing about Great. The reason why I ended up picking up that book is because after spending a few years in corporate banking, so the idea of corporate banking was that I had a number of businesses of a certain size and I was their go-to guy if, uh, if they wanted uh, any lending, if we do business reviews annually, um, lots of stuff. But fundamentally, it was all tied to how they manage their money and when they needed capital. That was the purpose of the role. And of course, working for that particular bank we wanted to be the bank that provides them the, the capital they needed. And what I found looking after those companies, and across all of them, no matter what size they were, was in a vast majority of cases, they had no idea how much profit they were making until 
someone had their accountant handed me a quarterly statement of what was going on yeah. or an annual statement as to what was going on and the profit side was just a or a nasty yeah. tax bill that they weren't ready for yeah exactly <laughs> so and it was it was like a byproduct like the profit aspect was the byproduct of the work they were doing it wasn't something that they uh, committed to it, planned, it for. planned for yeah it wasn't an expectation it was like well if we do all this work hopefully we'll make this kind of profit and then when the accountant confirmed it they were like Oh, we've made this amount. Yeah, so they didn't have a deliberate, we're going to make this much per year. And the great thing about the Profit First book is that it treats profit like an expense. So you, you factor in, okay, for every sale of X, a percentage of that will go is profit. And that will go into a specific account that is my profit account mm -hmm. and um and it treated it like a bill and we introduced that into smiley booth photo booth hire um oh, back in 2000 and whenever 14 mm -hmm. or whenever it was and um the because we were having a problem mm -hmm. managing our managing the money and managing competition so back in 2014 we had an issue where our pricing, we got really good at working out what our pricing was for the business. And then suddenly we had loads of competition because the manufacturers of these photo booths were going on this massive drive to sell as many photo booths to people mm -hmm. as possible and selling it as like, buy a photo booth and you've got this ready-made business. Yeah. So suddenly we had all these people entering the marketplace really aggressively from about 2012 through to about 2015 mm -hmm. who had no idea about how to run a business and just thought, if I own a photo booth, I'm just going to make a load of money. Yeah. And then they were just killing the pricing. Yeah. And But we were doing better than ever yeah. in that because we'd already had quite a few years in the industry because they were effectively raising the awareness of our mm -hmm. service, right? Mm -hmm. They were like marketing channel in, <laughs> in a way. But we were suddenly went from not having huge amounts of transactions to deal with in our little business to having some between four and five hundred oh, transactions a month. That came in as well, that, so we had yeah. to re readjust for all of that, didn't we? Well, and payroll got grew yes, and became a yeah. bigger thing for us to deal with because suddenly we had 26 staff that yeah. we had to manage. And so we had all of these factors and we were getting ourselves into a position where we were being guilty of profit being a byproduct yeah. after all the work. Yeah. And when the moment we introduced that, it used to take you like so many days of the month, didn't mm -hmm. it? To, just work out right, payroll, accounts, the whole shebang. Well, the transactions that would go through. Well, over the four to five hundred a month, yeah, yeah, wasn't yeah. it? Different yeah, transactions in a business account. Yeah, whether it be deposits, balance payments, yeah. staff paying for staff, whatever it was, and then um, we introduced profit first, and it just took the pressure off. Mm -hmm. It was like suddenly there was money going into our tax account, money going into our VAT account, money going into our profit account. Mm -hmm. So if you're in business or you're starting business, I highly recommend Profit First because well, it changed our lives, didn't it? Yeah, and going back to what you said earlier about um, you not being the profit because we were very guilty of that as well, that, oh, whatever we make, that's oh, we can have a nice Christmas this year or, yeah, you know, yeah. or we can treat ourselves to that or something like that. And um, when you're building a business, and I think we, we understand this so much more now, um, is that, you know, you should... I mean, obviously, talk to your accountants and whatever is more kind of tax efficient for you, but you should very much be an expense in the business. And then, as especially as you're building, use those profits to, to reinvest and, and for the business to kind of stand on its own two feet completely, regardless of what you want from it, yeah. at least for the first few years, so that it, it, it is building its own momentum. And, and also for lots of reasons, because if you want to sell it, the first thing people want to know is what's what's the profit. So they yeah. don't care what you're paying yourself. They yeah, want well, to know what's, what the, yeah what's the business worth? So yeah. the cash in the business as well. So yeah. the and profits... if you want investment, same question. Yeah. yeah. They, they want to know what the profits are. And, and yeah, I think we were very naive when we first started. Really naive, and, well, yeah. Oh, the profits are just what we make. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, that, yeah, yeah. So, and we, we were, uh, over the years, we've been fortunate enough to uh, send out some pretty hefty, like, in some instances, uh, six-digit invoices out. Yeah. And um, I remember taking a photo of our first <laughs> six-digit invoice, and we were just yeah. like, "This is really strange." It's like this. We've 
to get to be in a position where the business is sending that money out. Mm-hmm. We're like, hey, we can celebrate. We can. And it's slightly like, terrifying when the liability is on you for that invoice. As yeah, well. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> exactly. If the goods haven't arrived yet or the services haven't been delivered, you sit there like, ah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, definitely. It's not all pros. Yeah, but the um, but that was the business's money. So it, it's the way we've kind of evolved in our business experience, and there might be other people that say that we should do it differently, but from our philosophy, it was a case of, right, we should be, if, if we've got very specific roles in the business, that if the business needed to pay for that those roles externally, what would it pay them? Yeah. And as such, what would it pay us? You know, that's our definition. If the business succeeds and um, builds capital as, because, there's the cash you have in the business is an asset in the business so if it builds that asset and it, to keep it safe for the future and investments or whatever and then great and if you can draw a dividend from that then great so yeah. dividend is the business patting you on the back saying congratulations you've yeah. you've actually navigated this last 12 months or whatever well yeah. and you can get a billy bonus mm. like that's the that's the purpose of it but yeah it's the it's a long journey that's taken us. The problem is you don't have any book, unless you've been fortunate enough to have a mentor. Mm-hmm. It's there's no obvious way of learning this stuff, no. is it? That's well, problem. I think there, I think there is a lot more now, and that's again why we've been kind of doing these podcasts, is because the opportunity out there for people is is huge now, because yeah. there is so much information that you can go and find, yeah. um, and it doesn't have to be like a great big boring book anymore, no. you know, it, 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 it or a or a university course or whatever. Yeah, there, yeah. there is lots of kind of just online courses or audio books or just podcasts like this, you know, yeah. people sharing their experiences. Yeah. So I think um, I think the opportunity for you to learn these things if you want to is, is a lot more than it's, it's ever been and easier than it's ever been. Yeah, I mean, we've contemplated building courses in the past yeah. to help, uh, whether that be how to build online businesses yeah. or um, just the fundamentals of building a business because naturally, if you are... If you've built a business that then ultimately ends up franchising, there's a lot of things you have to teach your franchisees about the fundamentals of business, mm-hmm. right? And doing business. Mm-hmm. So naturally, we just kind of, because we consume a lot of that type of content mm-hmm. ourselves, we were like, oh, well, maybe we should do something yeah. like that down the road. Whether we will or not, I don't know. I think the, we definitely don't have the time for any of that. No, no, um, no, no. But that might be something we enter in the future. But that, that was definitely a challenge for us in the past. Yeah, but I think also if... Um, if you listen to this podcast and thought, oh God, this is really not me and, and I, I hate all this kind of stuff in terms of like the money side of things and pricing and, and those kind of strategies, I completely hear you on that. I yeah. th- th- That's your world. You do our spreadsheets and things like that. But if you are that way and I've, I've met uh, friends in business, uh, like a friend of ours that's got a, a cafe, coffee shop, she often says, um, oh, don't ask me those kind of questions. Ask the grown-up or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's she's, so. Well, she's she's like I just like spending the money. Yeah, exactly, that's, that's yeah, exactly. And it. if and if you're and if you're creative type, you you are going to fit that mold because most creative types run a mile from yeah. all of that. But but yeah. if you're recognizing yourself in what I'm saying, make sure you have someone around you that does understand that stuff yeah. and, and enjoys that stuff because it is essential. Um, we, well, you need that sounding board. There's been lots yeah. of times between us two where, because you you are the creative, you're definitely the creative yeah. person out of the two of us, yeah. right? So, and the names that we have in our business are Smiley Booth and Say It. Um, you create, you created those <laughs> names, and what was the other thing that you? If ever I say, what do you think of this name? You're like, don't talk to me about it. Yeah, names. <laughs> yeah. But the other thing is, you do is, is like, you are you you consume a lot of industry content. Yeah. So in like the events industry content, what's going on in the photo news industry? I often have my gauge on where the industry's going. Yeah. So you're often stuff. the one that will kind of say, we need to be heading in this direction, whether yeah. that be what's going on with events now for the digital proposition for events yeah. or in the past where it was like, we need to have in our fleet across the network, we need to have these types of photo booths. Mm-hmm. And it is always because I'm the spreadsheet guy. Mm-hmm. I'm the guy that goes, no, 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 no. Yeah. We don't need to do anything like that. And when you come up with a name for a service or the business, <laughs> I'm like, no, 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 no. That sounds pants or whatever <laughs> it is. And, I, and we have a very honest, but, but I say those things, but, because you've got a track record of demonstrating that they work mm. and it's right, 
I'll concede. Yeah. When I. But, but also having someone around you, and I don't even mean in, the, in your business, you know, it might just be a friend or your partner or anyone or, or professionals like accountants, etc. Yeah. Um, it takes the fear away yeah, because when you're like, oh, which road do I want to go on or, or should we get this equipment or you've got this nagging just doubt in the back of your head that, oh my God, I shouldn't have bought all that stock last week or whatever. Yeah. It, anything that's kind of just just worrying you but you don't quite know why yeah. as a creative type to then turn to someone that goes, oh no, look, we're fine. Da, 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 da. Yeah, and you're makes like, a big oh, difference. Okay. Yeah, because you've done that several times yeah. in our, our yeah, issue, exactly. right? You're like, I think, are we all right if we do X? And I've literally just, I've, I've said to you, What's the cost? Yeah. And you've told me, and I've put it in the in our forecasting, and I've gone, it's fine. Well, and the opposite. You've rang me in as well, because yeah. I'm like, really, really want to do this for a Christmas promotion, and you're like, no. Yeah. And you're like, it's not worth this amount of risk yeah. for what could be a couple of grand to win. It's, yeah. it's not worth the, the, the balance. Well, we had, we had that exact same scenario with Say It just yeah. recently, right? So um, if you're listening to this um, in the future, we're having this conversation in November of 2020, and obviously what well, comes after November, Christmas. And one of the things, one of the aspects of our service for Say It is the, these video cards. And we do video boxes that go with it for, for people to buy. And we've had both, uh, both our marketing, people in our marketing channels that we're working with to get the message out there and our suppliers both coming to us going, Christmas, you need to be prepared for Christmas. Yeah. You need to have loads of stock because if you get people that are disappointed and all this kind of stuff and you need to have all these different options for different people yeah you know, and yeah oh i think this yeah stuff. this color would be good yeah. and, this <laughs> and and going back to the, what i said at the beginning is there's no such thing as one you, there's minimum order quantities yeah, yeah. you have to buy all this stuff in and you and i have had you were like i think we should spend like we should buy x number of product yeah and that's tens of thousands of pounds right and and i've looked at it and gone no, yeah. <laughs> not now. It's yeah, like it's too, too new. yeah, it's too risky. It, too it puts risky. our existing relationships and customers at risk. Yeah, and they take as much as some opportunities are not worth the risk. And yeah. you definitely need to be able to have that conversation with somebody else that's number focused that tells you this is a risk and that aren't emotional in it because. I know we've agreed on that now, but I still really want to yeah. do those things because I'm like Christmas is here and I just want to. And but I I do get that it's it's common sense but if i was on my own i, I would have gone down that road yeah yeah, yeah. you would have so, taken it because it's yeah. the equivalent of um betting on red or black yeah exactly but you so you do you do really need that kind of that sounding bird person sounding bird sounding Sound board <laughs> otherwise like you know you'll be in it doesn't even need to be ordering in like we do but you might just be in a trade shop like if, yeah. if, if you're in um the food industry you're in like a macro or cash and carry and you're just yeah. like oh look at them and oh look at them and you've not got any kind of plan behind what you're allowed to spend on and why and, yeah. and all of these kind of things yeah you have to completely trust that person yeah absolutely and i think that the kind of last thing i'd, I'd want to say on on um on pricing because we're, we're coming up to our hour we've done it again well there's one thing i want to say as well <laughs> oh, okay. so, yeah. um is is to take away the ego um I, yeah. I actually was reading that in um in a book last night um that even when you've technically made it and you, you've got however many hundreds of thousands in the bank or millions or whatever it is that your your goals are live below your means was mm. was their message and and i don't mean that personally like if you if you've got the money to splash on toys or whatever in your personal life then be my guest but in your business you don't need flashy offices you don't mm. need the, the most the, expensive laptops yeah or, or or the or a fleet of sign written vans or whatever yeah. it is you you know you you don't have to have the flashy stuff keep keep your running costs as low as possible because you don't know when something like 2020 is going to come and hit you on the head exactly and you and you need to have you you lowering your running costs as low as you can and it, it does become an ego thing and especially in industries like ours in the events industry where it is quite showy and you want all your staff to have matching this, that, and the other. Well, or, and it's very or, tied to the owner a lot of the time yeah. in terms of their personality, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, but it's 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 vanity, and it's not something that you need. It's um, what's that famous um phrase? Uh, oh, about turnover is vanity. Yeah, turnover is vanity. Profit is sanity, and cash yeah. is king. Yeah, and that that's so important, as I yeah. think twenty twenty has taught a lot of people. The best businesses that were the most highest leveraged yeah. are unfortunately the ones that have gone. Well, and that that goes to the point that um 
I suppose I wanted to finish off with, which is the, so we're able to sit here now in November um, of 2020 after the events industry has been on pause basically since March. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the reasons why we were able to do that is because one, we've got a great franchise group. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other thing is... The we have stuck with us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but, the, and then, but over the previous years coming into 2020, we were kind of living and breathing this, and we were thinking, right, how do we strip out the business to make sure that there, um, so that the profits are staying in the business and we're building some kind of what I call financial runway, meaning that if everything was to stop tomorrow... How many days, weeks, or months can the business still be there mm. and survive before it crumbles into nothing? Yeah. And, um, and thank we, God we did. I mean, someone was looking after us when we started going down was, that yeah. road. Yeah, we, we started that because we haven't done three, that four for years long. ago. Yeah. yeah, and we started like putting the strategies in place about three, yeah. four years ago, and then um, and traveling really helped us with that as well. Yeah. But then. Um, then what we also did is we found that not only did we have a bit of runway, we we teed up 2020 as being this, um, like, supposed to be the biggest year yeah. the Smiley Booth was ever going to have, right? Mm-hmm. We we were investing in software, investing in equipment, and we were aggressively approaching the corporate market from yeah. the end of last year into the beginning of this one. like, And th- we had some really big plans for this year, didn't we? Yeah. And then all of a sudden, COVID came in and stopped us. Yeah. So... We, the runway that we built up and the capital that we built up in the business was all to be used on marketing, investment back in the company. And we basically went pause yeah. in March. Yeah. And that, that cash safety net in the business has enabled us to function on a tiny, tiny level. Like yeah. it's on life support yeah. for till next year, the reality is. And, yeah. um, and we're very confident about the future. But... Um, but that strategy of not taking it all for ourselves, yeah, yeah. not um, being flash when times are good yeah. and uh, either in the business or personally yeah. and just con- being conservative, I suppose, was really but important. Again, that comes right back to the beginning. You you build your pricing with too much of a narrow profit margin yeah, and you, you have can't no build that cash. Yeah, you can't build a runway no. at all. And, and you are taking it all for yourself because you need to live yourself. Yeah. Uh, you know, you've, you've got to build your... your margins into that and then if you think oh no my pricing's a bit high I'm, I'm worried about that then build on the value yes what, and, and that's especially easier if you're a service-based business it's a yeah. little bit harder for product-based businesses but but if you're a service-based what can you do for value what can yeah. you bring in that's not going to cost you hardly anything yeah but means something to your customer yeah and um so that that's the like part a of what i want to say yeah. and the part b of what i want to say was you need feedback loops, right? You need you need a way of your ideal customers communicating back to you what they're prepared to pay. Mm. Because it's very easy to sit at home or sit in your office and pick numbers out of thin air based on what maybe you would want your business to achieve as a turnover figure or a profit figure or just because personally you visualise yourself being this person that's got a load of money down the future and you want to kind of hand over the response like that the cost of that to your customers right that's you if you don't ask your customers or your potential audience or customers what they're prepared to pay and what they want you're just going to be throwing stuff at the wall and hoping it sticks Mm -hmm. and you can waste a lot of money a lot of time trying to figure that out and i think that's why a lot of startups fail because they get this they think they already know what the customer needs or wants yeah. and they don't. Nobody does. Yeah. And so you need to go out there and just like we've done it with a few sectors with say it, um, where we were trying to find what they call market fit, where we were going to we were testing out our proposition to different markets, trying to work out, well, who's gonna use it and on what extent and what are they prepared to pay. Mm-hmm. And I had some very open conversations with different sectors where I was like, look. This is what we want to do for you. This is what we want to do in your sector. Um, is it a good idea? And if it's a good idea, what would you pay for it? Like, is it or and tell me if it's rubbish? Because mm. if it's rubbish, or if if you're not prepared to pay anything for it, then I'm I'm not attached to it. I'm not yeah. attached. My ego is not attached to delivering it to that market. Mm. I'll go I'll go take my little briefcase and go off somewhere else, <laughs> yeah. right? And and see what they would want and how and how they'd want the service to look. So get those 
feedback loops. It's really yeah. important when it comes to pricing. Yeah, 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 definitely. And don't necessarily, although it's important to listen to them, don't listen to everyone. Because no, it might be that, you know, you're not your customer. It's going, oh, that's way too expensive. Yeah. But they're not your customer. Yeah. You know, make, make sure that you're, you're, you're getting the feedback from the right people and you're not just trying to please yeah. everyone. Do your research. Yeah. Do your research. They so talk about market research and, and all this kind of stuff. And when you, and again, that's another subject where you can go, you can type that online, market research techniques. It's like, oh, Jesus. It's like financial forecasting. Mm. The, the types of different research that you can do. And mm-hmm. it's like, oh, just do that bit that I said, and it's a lot easier. Yeah. Really. <laughs> well, there we go. That's episode <laughs> 12. 12 done. <laughs> well done. Have a good day, all.